This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes. Until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of what is the Arsenal News Show. Join you every morning at 8am UK time. Hope you're doing good. Hope you're doing well. Thank you as always for making us a part of your morning routines. It is very much appreciated. Good morning to those joining us in the chat box. Pinny Wing, good morning to you. To Carlton, to Steve, to Ara Silky, P- uh, Peter. We've got Maximius, Viraj. Uh, we've got Rancid uh, Pumpkin. We've got Fre- uh, Sweating Merlot, Clintsey, Morgie, Blackshine, Matt G, who still hasn't replied to me. On Discord, <laughs> Stephen, Marcus, Blackshine, to- uh, Matt, Tomo, Stevie, Lucos, uh, Amira, Johnny, and plenty more. Thank you, everybody, for joining us in the chat. It is very much appreciated. Uh, if you could drop a like on the chat box, on the chat box, no, you have to drop a like on the video. But you can leave your comments in the chat box. If you're listening on Catch Up, of course, you can leave your thoughts and feelings about anything that we discuss in today's show down below in the comment section as well. Without further ado, let's crack on with today's stories, shall we? With it being the weekend, it does mean that Premier League action is back. And today's games are plentiful. Lots of action this Saturday at 12.30. Wolves take on Liverpool on TNT Sports. Aston Villa play Crystal Palace in the first of five three o'clock kickoffs. Fulham take on Luton. Manchester United are at home to Brighton. Tottenham play Sheffield United and West Ham. High-flying West Ham host Manchester City. Uh, then the late game, Newcastle United at home to Brentford. So some very interesting games. Hoping for some Manchester dropped points once again. Uh, that would be very much appreciated on both sides. And Sheffield United, I'm not holding out much hope, but who knows? Maybe they can do us a favour with Wolves also who haven't had the best start of the season, can maybe get something against Liverpool. There has been some changes to the fixtures going into November that have been announced also to make you aware of. Arsenal have two games that have been rearranged during the TV picks. First of all, their game against Newcastle will be moved slightly later on Saturday to a 5.30 kickoff. I can't help but be irritated whenever a game away at Newcastle is moved to a late kickoff on a weekend. 5.30 means that a game will finish at 7.30, which means the travel back to uh to london is going to be very late indeed people will obviously be hoping that there'll still be trains uh, running until very late to get people back to london they should be but for those working in the media like myself uh i am going to be staying over in newcastle i imagine that evening because despite there being a train maybe at half nine ten o'clock if i'm lucky uh i ain't getting back from london to where i live at that time when it does return always frustrating when um there's, there's a Newcastle away game that's put to a, a later in the day kickoff. Should be a, an early kickoff, should be at latest a three o'clock kickoff. But uh, yeah, it is what it is uh, regarding with that. But the other game that has also been moved from an Arsenal point of view is Arsenal's game on the Saturday. Um, no, sorry, the, the only other game, I think that that is the only game that has been moved um, during that period. We've got Arsenal against Burnley on Saturday, the 11th of, uh, of, of, uh, of November. So... Other than that, there aren't any other change fixtures in November. We've got the game against Newcastle on the 4th. We then go uh, and play Sevilla at home four days later on the 8th of November. We then play Burnley at home, a three o'clock kickoff, so that means it won't be on TV. We then have Brentford away um, on November 25th at three o'clock again. Unless that's not yet been changed and not yet been rearranged, I imagine that will be staying the same. But they haven't released any 
later November fixtures yet. So I imagine we might see some changes late on in a few days, maybe weeks. So we'll get some more clarity on that. And speaking of clarity, Mikel Arteta provided plenty of information during his pre-match press conference yesterday. If you want to go back and watch that, of course, we've got some highlights on the Arsenal way uh, and you can get the full transcript on the Football.London website. But to focus in on some key parts of that, he was asked about Saka's situation with all those rumours flying about about a supposed Achilles issue. Arteta said he's fine. He trains normally today, so nothing to report there. Every player has pains or issues. That's normal in elite sports, but nothing to worry about. And I think that this obviously kind of leans into what we've been talking about is that players do carry issues. They do have problems, you know, that they deal with on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis. And we just have to come to terms with that fact. And Arteta highlights that. What I would say is that he doesn't necessarily rule out the idea that there is a problem that they are monitoring. But uh, I think hints towards that, you know, most players, Saka included, will be carrying something going into any game and uh, it just needs to be monitored because these are elite sportsmen so they're always going to be carrying something he also talked about gabriel and uh his obviously uh worrying situation at brazil where we saw him come off in the game against bolivia heavily strapping on his leg with ice he says we have good contact with the national teams gabby had a little issue but he managed to play the second game so it's something obviously for the next sequence of matches we have to be aware so they are clearly monitoring Gabriel as well. And uh, despite the fact that I know it was ruled out as not being anything too serious, it's always important to make sure that we've got full monitoring of these players. And that certainly is happening with Gabriel as well. He was also delighted to have Mohamed Elneny back. He says he's been training with us. He had a little niggle in his hamstring a few weeks ago and he is back in training now. Obviously, it's been a long-term injury. The latter stages of that rehab right now and then it's about building momentum and game time with him. I always said he's our glue player. Uh, he's one that brings everybody together, sticks everybody together. He's a really important player for me in the squad, and I'm delighted to have him. So that's some really positive news regarding the availability of Mohamed Elneny, and hopefully we'll see him be used at some point during the season, probably in those Carabao Cup games, if we continue to progress through the competition, maybe in some of the Champions League games if we need to rotate, because without Thomas Partey, we've got less depth in that midfield position. So let's wait and see if that in in intends to be the uh, the way back for El Nenny. Uh, he also talked about his confidence surrounding uh, Odegaard's uh, contract situation, which, as we know, has always been a, a real priority of the club this season. He said he's our captain. He's a massive player for us, a really important player for us now and for the future. We're extremely happy to have him and we want to keep him here for a long time. I'm always optimistic and we have a really good relationship with him and his agent and we are really close to them and whenever that's confirmed, we'll announce it. So yeah, very, uh, very, very true that it's clear that they are very confident that he will be signing a brand new deal. And if you want to look ahead to the game against Everton, well, last night we recorded our preview show. I was joined by three of our fantastic members um, to talk about the game. And so therefore, uh, you can go back and watch that and get all clued up on what's going on in the world of Everton versus Arsenal, which takes place at four o'clock on Sunday. I'm going to be heading up to Liverpool tomorrow morning. Very much looking forward to going up to Liverpool once again. Staying in Liverpool overnight tomorrow night. Um, maybe I'll get a chance to see a little bit of the city. Not really looked around Liverpool. Was up and, and drove back straight away from Liverpool uh, when I went up last season for the, the Everton game. So who knows? Maybe be able to get out on the town a little bit tomorrow evening after completing all my duties, of course. But uh, that completes part one. We're going to move to part two and your questions right after this. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
Right then, let's jump into the chat box and see what you guys are saying. I just want to say a quick thank you to everybody that is continuing to tune into the show. It really does mean a lot, of course, with the transfer window over. Uh, we obviously peak a lot of viewership during that period of time. And, you know, I really think it stands true to those that have got great commitment to the channel and supporting the channel and giving everything it can be, making the community in the chat box what it is. Thank you for sticking with us and, and we'll continue to do these shows and bringing you the dedicated platform across uh, the rest of the season through until the January transfer window when, of course, we'll relaunch the Arsenal transfer show in December. But thank you to everyone that continues to do so. It really does mean a lot. And thank you for the kind comments that you leave in the comment sections as well. It really is meaning the world. Right. Uh, let's go to... Um, <laughs> let's go to... Let's scroll up in the chat box a little bit. John says, uh, does Jesus start tomorrow? The question is, would I start him? I think I would. Yes, I would start Jesus. Uh, the question is, is Arteta going to start him? I'm not sure. I'm really, really not sure um, what's going to happen with Jesus and Enketia and whether or not Arteta might use and stick with Enketia because he's done so well at the beginning of the season or because of Jesus's goal against Manchester United. You know, it's very, very difficult indeed um, to see why he would take him out. But who knows? He might. It's He's always loved Jesus, you know, and despite Nketi doing really, really well, he he really enjoys having Jesus and, and what he brings to the team. So let's wait and see. I think it's 50-50, John. I think it could go either way at this point. Uh, George says, Tom, do you think that Wenger could be the next CEO? It seems very fitting. I don't think so, George. That position of CEO is a lot about delegation of roles, as we talked about on the Eat Sleep Arsenal Repeat podcast on Thursday night. I don't think that's what Wenger's specialities are is in that role. I saw a comment on yesterday's show saying we should bring David Dean back for that position. Like, I think these types of comments are, for me, you know, they, they hark back to, well, look what they did in such a successful period. But they weren't the same roles. You know, these are technical directors and people that were kind of the right-hand man, if you like, to, to Wenger and during that period of time. But I can't see David Dean being in a position to come back uh, to be a CEO when you've got Edu as sporting director. There would be a lot of kind of conflict and crossover of responsibilities between those two people's specialities. So I don't think that's uh, ever going to happen. I don't think Wenger will return to Arsenal in any kind of professional capacity, only as a fan uh, and maybe as an ambassador at Max. But I just can't see it being anything else other than that. Um Let's go to El Nenny to score a screamer in the Cowboy Cups as Oda Guancanova. Yeah, potentially. Potentially. I'd love to see El Nenny get on the score sheet again because he always loves scoring an absolute screamer at random points uh, during the season. Uh, Byron says, have been here for years through many accounts on YouTube. You have one of the best Arsenal content cre uh, channels on YouTube alongside The Different Knock, who is obviously another fantastic content creator. I am a Gunasalk subscriber for life. <laughs> Thank you, Byron. That's very kind of you indeed. Very kind. I think I saw a really nice comment from Gary as well. Thank you, Gary. Really appreciate that. Very kind words. Uh, ben says, I wouldn't be surprised if he played Jesus and Eddie. Maybe we see Jesus used in a wide position to give Saka a bit of a rest. I don't think that'll happen. I would do it, certainly in certain games. Use Jesus on the right, Eddie through the middle. I think that's something that we could certainly use, but I don't see it happening right now. Um, Lynn says, Tom, do you think there has been too much talk and opinions about Sancho when no one has been privy to what has really been going on behind the scenes? Absolutely, Lynn. Um, and we talked about this with Drew uh, a couple of weeks ago on the mental health side of this. you got to think about this as a human being beyond just a player. And his manager has come out and said things that he absolutely refutes, that he says that he isn't training poorly, that he isn't doing these things. And, you know, we can only go off what's being said. Now, there was a report in The Athletic that suggested that uh, some Manchester United players supposedly have noticed a bit of a drop-off in Sancho's commitment uh, and application, I guess. Um, and it's very difficult to have such a, a strong opinion on a player that, we don't know the ins and outs of. And I do think there's something to be said about the mental health of players. I think what the difference is with this and say like Arteta coming out and publicly criticising, not even criticising, but publicly kind of saying that Aubameyang was a disciplinary issue. Um, you know, he didn't give specifics. Uh, he didn't give um, kind of anything in the media or in pre-match conferences that I can remember that was specific to what he did, whereas Ten Hag was very specific about things that Sancho had allegedly done or not done. Um, and I think with Arteta, he was principled about it. And, you know, there was 
obviously numerous incidents where Aubameyang was late, where he didn't turn up on time to training. And it, it was like, you know, it was and, and to the North London derby as well, if you remember. Um, so I think there's a difference for those that I can imagine will start to bring up comparisons between Arteta's treatment of Aubameyang and Ten Hag's treatment of Sancho. I think there are differences between the two. Um, but we are only privy to what we're, you know, told with the Sancho thing, whereas we got a little bit more behind the scenes stuff with the Amazon documentary. But, you know, there, I know for a fact there's loads more that went on that we don't see publicly uh, from that documentary with the Bamiang thing as well. So, yeah, it's, it's always going to be difficult. But I think the players, you know, the, the, you have to think about the players' mental health as well, which is really important, which is why Drew brought it up a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Peter says, Tom, if Man City played England, who would win? And why is Man City... Uh, what and why? Who in Man City is due to how Southgate uses um, the England side? Oh goodness me! I've got something going in my eye. Oh no! Um, <laughs> I'm going to be struggling after the rest of the podcast. Uh, if so, I think if they played each other, Man City would win because England have defensive weaknesses that Manchester City don't have. Um, even if you kind of cloned, you know, the Man City representatives in the England side, so you had them on both teams, so it's like a FIFA situation. I think Man City would win um, because the, I think the managerial side of things, Man City are better coached than England are. Um, we had a big debate the other day in our group chat, me, Harry and, and Dan, and, and talked about a lot about Southgate. I know Harry thinks that he deserves more respect. I'm very critical of Southgate and think England should have a better coach. Um, and it would have made for a really good podcast, maybe one that we'll do at another international break. But uh, I think that Man City would probably absolutely trounce England, to be honest. Um, let's go to uh, Maya says, and lots of Arteta we haven't seen too. Absolutely. Uh, what I do know about Arteta is that we've understand, and what we do know from Arteta is that he's very principled. He's become very consistent. There were things within... Um, Arteta's initial part of his tenure where I think uh, Arteta made some mistakes and there were some inconsistencies in his management life. You remember the whole Willian situation where he barely gave him like a slap on the wrist when he came back from that trip to the Middle East. You know, I think maybe he learned from that and then applied that to other situations as we saw with Aubameyang. But uh, certainly what we know about Arteta is that he's become very consistent in his um, kind of strictness and discipline of players, which is obviously... Very, very important. Um, Arasilka says, Man United are own Man United only got Sancho in to sell shirts. Uh, Eric Ten Hag doesn't know what to do with him now. You know, I think there is a real talented player there. You look at the record that he had at Borussia Dortmund, the goals that he scored, the assists that he got at Dortmund. He was a fantastic player. They didn't just get him in to sell shirts. They got him because he was a really talented player. And they just haven't used him correctly. I think there's a lot to be said about maybe a similarity with Nicolas Pepe. Pepe is a very, very talented player. But it just was brought in under a different coach. And then under Arteta, didn't fit his system um, and wasn't able to, to fit what Arteta expected. And I think that with Pepe, there is a difference between the Pepe situation and Sancho in the sense that I think Sancho is a better player than Pepe. I think Sancho has got more talent than Pepe because he's delivered on multiple seasons at Dortmund, whereas Pepe was kind of a big one-off season and then struggled to replicate it. Had a decent first season at Arsenal, but yeah, I think we saw from Sancho establishing that level of quality at such a young age over two to three seasons was so strong. And I think that you can recover that. It just depends if you can find the right team to get him into. Is that Arsenal? I don't think so. I don't think I can see Arsenal doing that. I just don't think that we can have two recovery or revival projects. We've already got Kai Havertz. I don't think you can bring in uh, Sancho to make it two. It would be too much of a kind of a, uh, a revival project on two players and too risky for us to do. But who knows? Maybe we'll see Arsenal take a punt on Sancho in January. Uh, Matt says, do you think that the news of the Everton takeover will have an impact on how they play? No, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think it'll affect how they play. I think the only thing that's going to affect how they play is obviously that the crowd might be a little bit more emboldened. That said, I did read a few things um, about the new 777 partners that have taken over Everton and some of the comments that were made uh, about what they want to do with the club would not have sat well with me if I was seeing that come from the Cronkies. Um, it was a really odd, like, uh, let me try and find the quote exactly. Um, it looks like stuff about selling insurance and things like this. It was really, really, really odd. Um, 
Yeah, here we go. I think this is it. The vision for this football group is one day we're not selling hot dogs and beers to our customers. It's that we're selling insurance or financial services or whatever. Uh, the intensity of the fans' engagement with their clubs meant they want to be monetized. Uh, the, the, uh, what's the guy uh, that said it? Uh, is it? I can't even find the name of the person. It's not in this picture. But uh, yeah, I've, it was a really strange... Uh, Josh Wander, was it? I think it was Josh Vander, um, the guy that's done it. It's very, very odd comments. Yeah, Josh Vander uh, said all of those. It's really strange comments from a, from a new owner to come in and say, we want to sell you insurance. Like, Mm. <laughs> it's very very strange I, if Arsenal were taken over and that was the message that we got as kind of an opening statement if you like from a new owner I really think there would be serious problems and serious backlash from the Arsenal fan base and maybe it, it goes to show that sometimes we take for granted <laughs> which sounds mad to say these days but I tell you what the, the view of KSE has changed dramatically you know, in the last fair few, uh, like half a decade plus, uh, I suppose, since at least the end of the Super League fiasco, things have changed in the perception of the ownership massively so. Um, Matt G says, question for the chat. How many times do you think Thomas said, do you know who I am? <laughs> what? I don't think I've ever said those words, ever. It's always an absolute shock when anyone ever comes up and even knows who I am anyway, so... No, certainly not, Matt G. Uh, I have never, I don't think, uttered those words, other than maybe in jest <laughs> with like Harry or something. Uh, Lynn says, could you see Mikel changing Odegaard and Kai over? So Odegaard in the left attacking role and, uh, and Havertz on the right. No, I don't think so. Uh, I think it's certainly, there's scope to do that. Uh, and maybe we see them become more fluid, but I don't see that happening um, at this stage. Uh, Matthew says that comment translates as football fans are mugs ready to be fleeced. Yeah, it, it really does. Um, it, it really does strike you as just an opportunity and that, that football clubs are becoming opportunities for very rich people to become richer. And, I mean, that's been the case for a long time, I know, but it seems that like seven, seven partners are looking at this multi-club model. as just a, a way in which they want to try and monetize as much as they can and that's sad um that's sad but that is the way the football is and that's the way that we consume it It is all to do with money and uh, that won't come as a surprise to anybody uh yeah kss says the cronkies are amazing owners by comparison to most i think in the last since 2018 at least um or since the super league at least in comparison to what some of the other ownerships of other clubs have done you know arsenal have one of the better operating, you know, ownership groups that there is. And I know that a lot of people find it hard to to admit that because of the amount of years that there were prior to 2018 where things were not good and that there were persistent um, protests about spending and things like that. But I've always maintained ever since I got a better understanding of the situation of ownership since they took over the club in 2018. Let's be honest, like the investment has been good. The progression has been good. You know, we're turning to a team that is, again, expected to compete for a title, whereas before we weren't. You know, and the expectation has become that Arsenal have got to try and compete and get close to Manchester City, whereas before it was we've got to get back into the Champions League and that there are too many clubs that you know, are up there at the start of seasons that are spending far more money than us that, that we can't compete at this level at the moment. And we are miles from Liverpool. We're miles from Man City. Well, we've overtaken Liverpool. And we our next aim is to try and close the gap and get as close to Manchester City as we feasibly can, making smart decisions at an executive and a recruitment level. And I think that we've certainly been able to do that enough that we've progressed ourselves to where we are now. And I know that some people still take it for granted. I think it's more for attention than anything else, especially on social media. But... Overall, we have progressed in, in the right way, and that's what's important. Uh, unknown says, Ozil, Saka, Martinelli, Jesus, Partey, Rice, Timbertini, Saliva, and Gabriel. That is a squad to win a treble. Uh, well, I mean, Ozil, I, I would swap out personally for Odegaard. I think Odegaard is, is a better suited player for this current team than Ozil is. That's not to say that Ozil, you know, over the course of his career, isn't a better player than Odegaard. I think he, Odegaard's still got some way to go to improve, to get onto the same level of ability and, you know, stature as Meza Ozil. But in this current team, I think Erdegaard is a better fit um, than what uh, than what uh, Ozil is to this Arsenal side. And I wrote that back in 2020 and I stand by it now. And I believe that's certainly been justified now as well. Um, Tyrell says, Tom, what are your expectations for the Arsenal in the Champions League this season? 
it's difficult to have expectation the Champions League because it is our first season back for quite some time. I think that we are one of the better teams in the competition. I will be disappointed if we get knocked out by somebody that's not Man City, Real Madrid or Bayern Munich. I think that any of the any of the teams in the competition other than those three, I would bank on us beating. I think we'd give Bayern a really good game. I think we'd really compete with Bayern. I think we're better than Barcelona personally. And I think that only Real Madrid because of their pedigree in the competition. And I think with Bellingham now and the way that Vinicius has improved, I think that team is unbelievably good. Uh, Camavinga and Schuermeni is still improving all the time. You've still got Modric playing at a really high level. Um, the only position really in that that team that is lacking is striker. You know, they do lack a centre forwards, Real Madrid. And they're probably looking at trying to secure Mbappe next summer. And when you add Mbappe to that Real Madrid team, goodness me, they should win every single tournament, every single competition they enter with that squad. But uh, certainly I think that only Real Madrid, Man City and Bayern Munich are up there as teams where I'd say, yeah, if we got knocked out by these teams, I can I can cope with that. But if we got knocked out by, you know, other sides in a tournament, you know, if we have another Sporting or Olympiacos or Villarreal situation, which sadly have become far too regular under Arteta's tenure in Europe... I would be very disappointed. So, yeah, I think that's probably the best way to approach the Champions League. So, there you go. Um, let's go to... Unknown says, how many assists has Odegaard got this season? I don't think he's got any, has he not? Uh, I don't think he's managed to get any. What he does have, though, is a very, very important goal against Manchester United. Also, it's worth pointing out that I think Odegaard has matched... I think that goal that he scored against Man United has matched the number of goals Ozil scored against big six teams in the Premier League. I think they both now have the same number of goals against big six teams in the Premier League. Um, and I think that Odegaard's contribution to this team is without a doubt staggeringly impressive. You know, matching Kevin De Bruyne's out, you know, outfield goals from central midfield um, from a midfielder position. Uh, last season was an incredible, incredible thing. And the biggest thing I, we always said about Ozil for me, other than the uh, um, the work rate issues um, and, and the application, was obviously, did he contribute enough goals? Did he turn up in enough big games? Um, and for me, I don't think that Ozil did. And Erdegaard is now, you know, equal in regards to that level of scoring against big six teams. And I'm sure in the next fair few opportunities, he's probably going to extend that beyond what Ozil did as well. Ozil was a brilliant player. Ozil was a world-class player, but he wasn't suited to what Arteta wanted. Um, and ultimately, um, Odegaard is. And I think that means that you, if, you know, if you use a part of a machine that's better for the machine than something else that isn't as good for the machine, but is still a world-class piece of a puzzle, you know, it's not going to be able to perform to its absolute maximum. Um, and I think that Ozil in a team which suits Ozil, like he did at Real Madrid, for instance, and to be fair, at the start of Arsene Wenger's tenure as well with the player, it worked really, really well. And he won a lot of trophies with Real Madrid and he won some trophies with Arsenal as well. But, you know, with Odegaard, Ozil sadly never be, never was able to take Arsenal back to the level of a, of a title challenger. With Odegaard in the team, Arsenal have returned to a side that are now trying to compete for a title in what I would describe as an even more competitive Premier League than when Ozil was part of Arsenal's team. Um, so, yeah, let's enjoy. I think you can enjoy both. I think if, you, if you're if you trying to create, and I think Unknown in the chat box is certainly trying to create a bit of a divide here, which is, you know, fine if people want to do that. Only do it to some degree. You've got to be respectful. But I think if your intention is to say, I like one, I don't like the other, you know, I don't think there's any point even getting into a debate about it because they're both just great players. They're both really good. Um, and uh, it's as simple as that. So I don't think... You, if anyone's sitting there saying Odegaard is not good enough or Odegaard isn't very good, it's, it borders on... It's not bordering on ridiculous. It is ridiculous because <laughs> Odegaard is a world-class player, in my opinion, and has helped Arsenal massively back towards a title challenge. Um Let's go to, uh, let's scroll up in the chat and get some more questions in. Uh, Yasser says, Trossard needs to start as an eight and Havertz pushed into the nine role to give us more physicality. I would start Jesus on the left and Saka on the right as well. We need to surprise Everton. I'm not sure that that's the right way forwards. Um, I think that when it comes to somebody talking about Martinelli, you have to use, you have to use Martinelli. 
because he's he has been so good at the start of this season. And I think that when it comes down to a player that adds so much aggression and direct running and all of the things that Martinelli has added to this team, to not use him in this game, I think would be maybe a bit of a mistake. So, yeah. Um, right. I'm, I'm just, unfortunately, you know, I always appreciate when people come into the chat with different points of view. But when you start trolling, you know, there's no point sticking around. So there you go. Um, John says, Jesus on the left. What's Martinelli done wrong? And this is kind of the point that I have. You know, I think that we have to consider that Martinelli is a really important part of the team. I, I don't think you can shoehorn, you know, players into sides. I think there's a danger of us getting into a position where Havertz does get shoehorned in if his form continues to be very poor. I think we are in danger of, uh, you know, being in a place where, Havertz ends up getting shoehorned in. And I don't want it to get to that place, which is why I personally would drop him for this game. I'd get him coming off the bench and getting into positions where he can get, you know, and can score. So, yeah, let's uh, let's wait and see what happens on Sunday. But I think it's it's going to be an interesting lineup. It's going to be a very, very interesting lineup. Uh, Martin says, I've always felt Ozil was a signing to appease the fans, calling for Wenger to spend some effing money. <laughs> um I don't think that's true. I think we signed Ozil because we were a very good passing side. And Ozil was one of, if not the best passer on the planet at the time that we bought him. So I think that's why we bought Ozil. And I think we bought him to try and take us up a level. Sadly, he wasn't able to do it. Sadly, even with Alexis Sanchez, we couldn't take ourselves up a level. And I personally think that was a lot to do with 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 Wenger, sadly. I think towards the end of Wenger's career, he was left behind by a lot of the new coaches in the game and the new style of of play. There's without a doubt some of the football that we've played under Arteta in his tenure has been better than the football that we played at the end of Arsene Wenger's tenure and certainly better than Unai Emery's football that played. You know, so I think that Arsenal needed to evolve. Ozu and Alexis Sanchez during that Wenger era weren't able to evolve Arsenal beyond a team that were just qualifying, you know, for the Champions League. Yes, we finished second one season, but it wasn't a season that we competed for the title, even though Leicester won it, which is a real disappointment. That was the season that Arsenal had the opportunity to win the league and, and they failed to take that opportunity. Um, but with this current squad, with Odegaard so young, with Saka so young, with so many young players in this squad, Saliba, uh, Ben White, 25, Gabriel, 24, um, Zinchenko, 25, 26, Gabriel Jesus, 26, you know, Martinelli, 22, um, and Ketia, 24, Nelson, 23, 24, Ramsdale still young, Raya still young for a goalkeeper, 27, I think. You know, we've still got so much potential in this squad. Havertz is still 24, and if you can get him to come good, great. Declan Rice is still, what, 24? There's so much potential in this team, you know, and where we were at with Ozil was kind of the end of his his, his prime. Alexis Sanchez as well, we brought them in their prime. We've brought players now that are going to enter their prime at Arsenal, and that's a really, really exciting place to be um if he says that 15 16 season Wenger signed only check Ozil had a great season but no one to convert our chances due to Giroud's goal drought I think Giroud goes down as one of the most underrated players in our history and let's not forget Arsenal fans clamored for Arsenal to sign Alexandre Lacazette and replace Giroud Lacazette didn't get better Lacazette didn't improve Arsenal Giroud was the better striker for Arsenal in the end than what Lacazette was. We underrated Giroud. What we needed was to add a central midfielder. What we needed was to add a centre-back. And that's why I was always so defensive of Arteta at the start of his tenure at the club. Because as soon as Arteta came in, what did we do? We bought a top centre-half in Gabriel. What did we do the next summer? We bought a top centre midfielder in Thomas Partey. Like We addressed the two key areas that Arsenal had failed to address for the past decade. We had not secured the top midfielder, the top centre-back that we needed. It was never, for me, Giroud being an issue because we signed a player that scored 20-plus goals on a regular basis for Lyon in Lacazette, and it didn't work. And at the end of the day, we didn't bring in the centre-mid that we needed. We didn't bring in the centre-back that we needed. And even when Unai Emery came in, we still didn't sign the players we needed. He desperately wanted to spend a lot of money on a winger, which I think we needed to bring in a winger. But Zaha and Pepe were not the right options because their prices were mad. You could have signed a much better, younger player of a less, you know, for far less money and then invested, say, two thirds of that Pepe money into a centre mid or into a better centre half. And we didn't do that. Arteta comes in and our recruitment, you know, let's be honest, you know, 90% of it has been, of the investment that we've made has been very good. Uh, Vieira before this summer was the only real big investment that we had question marks over. And he looks like he's coming good. Uh, he really does look like he's coming good. And I think that when it comes down to 
Havertz, that's the next big risk. That's the next big question mark about what investment we've done. But the timber signing looked like it was going to be great until the injury, which is really frustrating. Um, and the Declan Rice deal looks like a hit already, which, you know, we, we kind of knew. But uh, to get that deal done and beat Man City to that player was was so important. I just feel that, you know, Giroud was always given a bit of a hard rap. He ended up becoming one of the best strikers, I feel, of, of his generation. You know, his goals for France proved that. His goals in the Premier League proved that. I think Giroud is, is incredibly underrated. I don't... I didn't enjoy watching him go to Chelsea, but that's on Arsenal at the end of the day. You've allowed, you've sold him to Chelsea and then he's scored in a Europa League final against you. He won the Champions League. He won the Europa League. He won the World Cup. You know, he's become France's, uh, you know, top goal scorer, I think now. So what more can you say about Olivier Giroud? I always felt that the, the need was elsewhere in that squad and that, yes, we were all desperate to see a 20-plus goal a season striker sign. And when we signed them, they didn't take things beyond what Giroud already had. So there you go. Um, he's still doing it now. And he has a lovely beard. Yes, he does. He gradually grew that out as he uh, you know, progressed through his time at Arsenal. Um, let's go to Maximir says, Hey, Tom, what's your opinion on the Richarlison issue? Him coming off crying and with mental health issues, even though he belongs to them, we need to be empathetic towards such issues. Yeah, absolutely. And I was talking about mental health uh, with Jaden Sancho earlier on. And Richarlison, it's the same thing. At the end of the day, you know, rivalries and things like that, they go out the window when you start talking about the humanity of, of people. You know, uh, I've got very good friends who are Spurs fans. I wouldn't not be friends with someone just because they support Spurs. It's ridiculous to even go like down that pathway. It's a footballing rivalry. If that, I hate the club. I hate Chelsea as well. I hate Manchester United. Do I hate the humans? Like, it's very different. You know, it's the, the humanity side of football is... Um, is really important to consider. So, yeah, if, if Richarlison is struggling, I really hope that he gets the help that he needs. Um, and the same goes for Maguire. The thing with the Maguire thing is that I would like to see the level of support that has been shown to Maguire shown to other players. Um, and I think that maybe there's something to be said about the, the level of emphasis on Maguire that maybe hasn't been offered to others um at the same at the same time so yeah look I, I think that a player like granite Xhaka, who when had the incident that we all know about against crystal palace and it came out about the abuse that granite Xhaka received and the Xhaka was never shy about talking about you know the struggles that he's had He's a very tough character, a very tough personality, and certainly has got very thick skin indeed. And that doesn't justify anything that he's received. But I never saw the outcry of support, you know, across the footballing sphere in England for a player like Granit Xhaka, who received untold abuse during his time at Arsenal, that, that as compared to what we've seen um, for, for Harry Maguire. His manager did. You know, his manager did. Gareth Southgate backed him and and Arteta has backed Xhaka for sure. But there's never the same... I've never seen the same level um, for Xhaka and for other players as well. Um, so whilst I think it's good and, and I respect Southgate and everybody for backing Maguire, I think it's the right thing. I just think we need to show a better amount of consistency when supporting players um, when they're in those moments. Um, Omar says Maguire doesn't start for England simple the only way he plays is if he has something on Gareth Southgate uh, he keeps Ben White out and that's crazy I don't think he has something on Gareth Southgate I think that's ridiculous to suggest to be honest I agree that he doesn't start for England for me I wouldn't start Gareth Southgate I wouldn't start Gareth Southgate I wouldn't start Gareth Southgate for sure I wouldn't start uh, Harry Maguire for England I wouldn't call up Harry Maguire for England and I think it was a mistake to call Harry Maguire up for England because I think it opened him up to even more criticism that just was not needed when you had Ben White there you know, I, I just think it's very, very harsh that he wasn't given an opportunity. Um, but it doesn't mean that we can't be human um, about things and be empathetic about things. We can. So, yeah, that's that's what's very important. Uh, Alison says, you're absolutely correct, Tom. Some players get more support than others do. Uh, Seb says, Tom, do you think that Arsenal will go back in for Mary Earps in January? I hope so. I think the issue with the Mary Earp situation, obviously, was that she wants to play Champions League football um, and Arsenal don't have that this season. Uh, I, I hope that we do because she's, without a doubt, in my opinion, the best goalkeeper in the world. Um, and I think Arsenal would have 
signed. Not that Zinsberger's not a great goalkeeper. I think Zinsberger is a very good goalkeeper. But I think Mary Oaks would have obviously taken things to a, a new level. Um, she also became the meme of the summer with the uh, after saving the penalty for England. <laughs> that was great. I mean, if you're going to get memed for anything, that was fantastic. Um, certainly worth it. Um, uh, Matt says, yeah, Maguire needs to take a look at himself and ask himself why he didn't take a pay cut to go play football for West Ham. But no need for crazy hate for sure, Southgate. I don't even know if that's true, Matt. Is that the reason? That seems like quite a big uh, accusation. Let's have a pay cut. West Ham. Uh, Maguire has to take a massive wage cut to move to London, which will see him earn £120,000 per week from his current £190,000. Harry Maguire is demanding demanding £50 million payoff from United to move to West Ham. Let's have a look. Uh, according to the Sun, uh, a cloud of uncertainty looms over the transfer as the defender has put forward a demand of £15 million as a final settlement with the club, United are ready to offer him six million as compensation, which is less than half of his demands. I would take that with a pinch of salt, Matt, to be honest. Um, some of the things that's been written about players in that particular outlet has been horrific. Raheem Sterling in particular, I would recommend doing um, some research into that. Raheem's, the treatment of Raheem Sterling in the media has been frankly ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, I would take that with a pinch of salt, mate. Uh, is what I would say. Um, John says, smash the likes, everyone. Tom works hard to bring us our daily fix. Indeed, if you could drop a like on the video, I would very much appreciate that. Very much appreciate that indeed. Um, Wagner says, fans have to be more empathetic. Otherwise, we could see suicides in the worst case scenarios. Let's stop and think before hurling abuse individuals. It's just terrible. Uh, yeah, without a doubt, I think there is... The, the 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 thing about football is it's such a tribal sport that it garners a huge amount of abuse and online. And let's be honest, a lot of it online is from people that are faceless, that have a picture of a player as their avatar, that are anonymous and hide behind that anonymity to be able to attack people and attack players and attack other fans and be abusive and be sexist and homophobic and racist and all of these derogatory things. You know, let's be honest, people use it as a, as a guise. There's suggestions that Twitter or that is now called X, you know, I don't agree with a lot of the, the things that have gone on at the top of the social media company, but there is suggestions that you will need to uh, apply a identification for your Twitter accounts I'm going to continue to say Twitter because it's easier, uh, but you're going to have to submit identification for your Twitter accounts to, to keep it. And I don't think it's a perfect system. And I think there are valid criticisms to the idea of adding identification to social media platforms because, you know, the access to data that's there, um, the access to people's identities, if people can get them, is obviously a danger. Um, but it's like, what, what do we do? I had someone say to me the other day, in a conversation, I think on social media, I've been a couple of weeks ago, um, where they were saying, uh, or I said they they called they called a player stupid or something, and I was like, can we please not abuse players? Or someone called them a clown and used the clown emoji. And I was like, can we just stop abusing players? Like, if you're be critical of a player, be critical, but if you're going to call them stupid, if you're going to call them clowns, like you are being abusive. And then the response is, well, is calling someone stupid abusive? Is calling someone a clown abusive? And look, for some people, I get the bar might be higher. You might need to break into the boundary of expletives. You might need to break into the boundary of derogatory terms before you feel that abuse is being submitted. But if you have a look at like UEFA's strategy and their current campaign, if they're, I think Jorginho is part of their anti-abuse campaign, Human Son is. Um, and, and, and I think that there is something to be said about you know, the the words that they use uh, in that advert, that campaign that's used. And stupid is one of the words that is used. And you might you might say, oh, well, you're being a bit of a snowflake, a bit of a softy, you know, can't you be dealing with being called stupid? And it's like, sure, if I'm down the pub or I'm out with some mates and someone calls me stupid, yeah, sure, I can take that. That's fine. A, because one, they've said it to my face, first of all. Um, and B, because, you know, in the grand scheme of insulting terms, it's not the worst thing in the world. But the thing is, is that these are footballers that are on the public stage and are facing thousands upon thousands upon thousands um, of people calling them at the lowest level of abusive terminology. 
and that doesn't make it okay. There isn't a spectrum of what is okay in terms of what insults you can throw. It's either you can be objectively critical or you can't. And if you can't be critical, then what's the point? You know, this isn't for you. Social media is not for you. If you have to resort to being abusive in any way, shape or form, this platform, this environment is not for you because it's not okay. It doesn't make it okay. You know, add a little bit of humans to it. Um, <laughs> Gary says the clown emoji has got to be the most used when criticizing players. Yeah, I, I find it odd that people think it's okay to call people clowns. Like it's easy. It's accessible through an emoji. Um, and uh, yeah, like people think, oh, it's just an emoji I'm throwing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's you and a thousand others that's doing it. So yeah, people don't really get the the in you know the impact of that. Um, KSSM says uh, calling someone stupid is an insult. There's no point in trying to deny that. <laughs> exactly. Um, Boniface says, Cass, by Leverkusen striker, just my opinion is one that Arsenal should be looking at for next season. He is raw, but he is a handful and gave Bayern Munich's uh, defenders a torrid time in last night's game. Uh, certainly a player that's continued to be talked about. Uh, Moffi at uh, Nice is also being talked about a lot. They got a great game against PSG uh, the other night, so he might be a player to look at. Um, but it's always worth waiting until the season's finished, see how these players get along um, across the season. That's, uh, you know, that's really, really important. Devesh says, I am a clown and I find it offensive. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, and Matt, thank you, mate. Really appreciate uh, the kind comments as well. Uh, Penny Wins says, Tom, you've called me silly a few times. What's the difference? I genuinely don't mind, but I'm confused how it's different. Um, I think it's it depends on context, mate. I think it's context to, to terminology. Um, if I say to someone, stop being silly, I don't think that's abusive. Um, but if you're calling somebody a clown because of how they are in their job, which in the case of football, you know, if if then if you feel they're not good enough, or you know, Kai Havertz, for instance, has been poor at the start of the season, calling him a clown is abusive. You know, let's not be. You might say that's just ridiculous. That's you know, there's nothing. You know, you know, we're not saying that he's a see you next Tuesday. We're not saying that he's this, he's that. Um, you know. We're just calling him a clown at the start of the season because we think he's not been good enough. It's like, no, that is a terminology of abuse. And like when it's coming from thousands and thousands of fans, you know, saying it, especially when I use the word fans. Like, if you remember, these are people that support Arsenal, that you're supposed to, keyword there, support. It's not to say that you can't be critical. It's not to say that you, can, you can't say you don't think Kai Havertz has been good enough. That's fine. If you want to say that, Kai Havertz hasn't been good enough. I have no issue with that whatsoever. If that's your opinion, that's fine. And I share to some degree that opinion. I think that we should expect more from Havertz. I think there's context to it. I think there's context around that. Absolutely. But, you know, if you're going to start calling him a clown, it is too far. It is far too far. It is. And you might say that's that's setting the bar way too low. I don't care. Because if we don't set the bar too low, then we allow these things to, to pile up. We allow these things to to snowball and then it starts to become worse and starts to become more serious if you start thinking that it's okay to say these words then suddenly you start saying words that simply are um unforgivable as well um let's go to omar says call him incompetent if he is bad is that offensive i'm not sure is calling a player incompetent not having or showing the necessary skills to do something successfully i mean by definition you would say no, wouldn't you? Because I don't think Havertz has shown the necessary skills against Fulham and Man United, personally. I did against Crystal Palace. I thought he did. But the word incompetent is very strong. And I think there's maybe something to be said for the word incompetent. I don't think that... I think Cross did, against Fulham and Manchester United, Havertz show enough skills to do something successfully you would say no. And so by definition, there were incompetent displays. But it sounds like a really harsh word to use that word. And I think, again, this is where context comes into it. Language is important. Words are really powerful. You know, as a writer, as you know, use words every single day, as we all do. But, you know, when I'm writing and I'm trying to use the best words to describe something, I try to be careful. I would not be using the word incompetent to describe a performance, even though by definition, it works because incompetent 
despite I don't think can be used to be abusive. I wouldn't go as far as saying calling someone incompetent is abusive. I think that it's I just think it's a bit harsh. I think it's a bit blunt. It's a bit raw. And I think that maybe you can use better terminology. And I think you could be more descriptive in your criticism than saying someone is incompetent. I wouldn't describe someone after that one game as incompetent. Even if they'd done, not done the successful things to require themselves to be successful, which by definition, sure, justifies the word in that sense. But I just think I would be, it would be harsh to call them incompetent, you know, because that word gets used in other situations where people are doing some really ridiculous things. But yeah, I wouldn't say I'm saying someone is incompetent is abusive, but I think that there are better words maybe to use. And I think that there are, there's times where the word is applicable and times where I think it would be harsh. So I hope that clears up that one. Um, let's go to uh, bosses. Do you think that it will take Havertz a season to get back to his best? I hope it doesn't take a season boss. I hope it happens quicker than that. Um, but uh, it's 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 difficult not to think that it's going to take him an extended period of time to find his feet. And that's only going to come through playing as well. Um, let's go to... Boom, 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 boom. Uh, Penny Williams says, context is key. No question. And words aren't always meant how they are heard. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And people can get misinterpreted all the time. And that's why I think you should always give someone the benefit of the doubt when it comes to them explaining why they said what they said. Because, you know, what I don't want this to become is some incredibly kind of, um, you know, I would say, I don't want to go down political routes, but I do think there are times that when people aren't given the benefit of the doubt and people are labelled as things that they're not unnecessarily, and I think that they should be given the benefit of the doubt to explain why they said what they said and in what context they meant it. And then we can have a discussion about it. You know, I'm I'm never for cancel culture. I think that's the best way to put it. I don't believe in cancel culture. I don't think people should be cancelled. I think people should be given the opportunity of education to improve themselves. That's what I personally think should be, you know, there. Things that, you know, outlets, YouTube channels are there to stay. Certain places are, are here to stay. We know that I would rather that instead of cancelling these places that have such huge influence over people, that they're given the opportunity to change. And I think this is when we come back to talk a little bit about AFTV. You know, for some people, they're done with AFTV. They're done with it. They said they don't like it. It shouldn't exist. It should be banned. I don't agree with that personally. I've always said that AFTV is going to be here to stay. AFTV is always going to be a presence in this Arsenal community. And you can choose to ignore it or not watch it, which would be my first piece of advice for people that don't like it. But I personally think there are some really good people now on AFTV and there's been effort made to try and improve things over there. And that's what I always say, is that cancel culture shouldn't exist and that effort should be made always to try and give second chances to improve individuals or replace individuals. If you have to replace people, that's fine. You know, Some people sadly aren't going to change. If people aren't going to change, then yeah, sure, replace them. But you know, I think at AFT in particular, I always talk about how much I um, enjoy James's content. I think Cecil's done some really good work over there. Obviously, Graham does some really good things on the tactical side. I'm good friends with Lee Judges. I don't always agree with what Lee Judges says. We have a lot of disagreements now and again. Um, but I, I like Lee. Um, and I think that he produces on his own channel some good stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's always going to be about giving opportunities to second chance, giving the opportunity to change. You know, that's that's what's key. But I get that some people aren't always going to uh, enjoy it. People aren't always going to uh be able to to overcome that but what i would say is if you you know if you cannot um if you cannot enjoy something if you're never going to change your mind on something like that don't watch it simple as that don't talk about it ignore it move on you know you don't need to be haters you know focus on things you enjoy that's for sure um let's go to omar says what is cancel culture sorry if this is something common yeah no it's fine um Basically, what I'd say cancel culture is, is when somebody says something that could be uh, quite bad. Um, so someone might say something that is... I'll give you a good example. Um, Jamie Carragher was videoed once spitting out of a window um, at another person in what is one of the most horrific things I think I've ever seen uh, a presenter do. It was really bad. Um, and 
the response to that from people was to be to say he should never be on Sky again. He should lose his job um, and he should never be allowed to do punditry again. I personally felt as though that what he did was really bad and was worth an apology and probably consequences in the sense of like a suspension or a period of time away from the screens. But I feel as though people should be given second chances and that Jamie is a very, very good pundit. Um, and once that that kind of episode had ran its course and that the apology had been made and he'd owned up to his mistake, you know, people should be given second chances in certain situations. I think there is a spectrum. I'm not saying that everybody can be given that for certain levels of things that that happen. Um, I think that when it comes to things like racism and homophobia, and it's very, very difficult at that point to have a black and white kind of spectrum of, of, of views on it saying, yes, one's okay to come back from and have a second chance. Another one's not. If somebody says something that can be perceived as as right that, that, that is racist then i think that if there is an intention behind that and there was an intention to be racist it's very hard to come back from that very very hard to come back from that if someone says something that they were uneducated on and that what they've said was just uneducated then i think that if they understand why what they said was wrong and they're willing to own that and they're willing to come back from that with education on the topic, then I think people can be given those second chances. I hope that makes sense. I think if somebody is inherently embeddedly racist, you there's no coming back from that. You know, If there's no willingness to accept why that is not okay, you can't give the second chance. But if somebody says something with an uneducated background and they are told why it is wrong to say that and they hold their hands up and go you know what i'm really sorry i didn't know that i'll give you a good example um and from an internal example for me is always when i was younger and i went to north london derbies and they sung and i know i've used this example before and if you've been a long time listening to the channel you're probably bored of me using this example but i think it's relevant here um I, when I went to games as a youngster to North London derbies and they sung the What Do You Think of Tottenham chant, at the end of that song, some fans used the Y word, which some Jewish people find offensive. And I know that I've come across Jewish people that don't find it offensive, but there are Jewish people that do find it offensive. And because of that, you have to respect the fact that some people find it offensive. Whether or not everybody does is a different thing. As long as some people find it offensive, I personally think that there is something to be said about the respect to have to give to not use that terminology. And so when I learned the the meaning behind it, when I learned from people like Mike from the Gunas Pod, who is uh, Jewish and absolutely hates that word and finds it really offensive, I stopped using it in those songs because I then knew what it meant and I knew what the word meant. And I think that's what I'm talking about here in terms of cancel culture is that if someone is caught using that word and the response that is you should never be allowed to go to games again you should be ashamed of yourself you should never be allowed to enter society in any way shape or form because you've used that word once that's not that's cancel culture what i think is you should go to that person and say excuse me i've noticed that you've used that word in that song do you know what it means do you know that some people can find it really offensive would you consider not using it next time you sing that song that's absolutely fine you know and i think that that person should then go oh really i didn't know that you know, tell me more about it and uh, I'd be more than happy to learn why. And yes, of course, I will stop using it. You know, I think that would be absolutely the way forwards to in, in that type of situation. It's all about education for me. Um, so there you go. Um, Saka for Ballon d'Or uh, says, I think racism, etc., should not be used. Well, obviously, um, but football banter is part of culture. This word like banter like is... <laughs> I find the most ridiculous kind of excuse sometimes for for abuse. Some people were like, it was just banter. Um, and, and it's used to disguise what was really derogatory in some cases. 
banter does exist in some cases. You can have banter between friends. You can have banter between groups of friends. You can have banter between fans. You can take the mick out of other clubs. You can banter, um, you know, West Ham fans when they say they're the champions of Europe for winning the Conference League. And you can uh, joke about it being a competition that was created just for them. And you can banter Spurs about the fact they've not won a trophy in how many years. You can banter people. Like, Look, there's an application of that word that I think is fine. But sometimes people use the word banter to justify some really horrible things and i don't think that's fair so i think that 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 word is it's it's depend again on how it works Rand says sunday sermon i said i've not done one of these just like where i unload all of this stuff you know on you guys for quite a while and you know i enjoy talking about this i really do enjoy speaking about these types of topics i think it's important to talk about these types of topics you know um and it always does spawn somebody or some people in chat boxes that say this is i think someone described me as being cringe once for doing this i uh, i think there's oh what is the terminology that was used someone called me some word that i can't remember what it is now um basically it's like a terminology that's come about in like the last year that people have really jumped onto to try and justify attacking people that want to do right by you know the world really i want to make the world in some ways a better place for people to exist in I can't remember what it is. Is it a virtue signaler? I think that might be the term. So someone called me a virtue signaler, which let me get the definition for those that don't know what that is. Virtue signaling. So the public expression of opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or social conscience or moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. Uh, the quote here is, it's noticeable how often virtue signaling consists of saying you hate things, um, which I suppose is an irony. So, yeah, someone called me a virtue signaler because um, I've been talking about I would that story of the using the Y word, um, for instance. And I think it's for me, when I see be, see people like myself who call out this stuff, get called this, I understand that some people might perceive this and going oh you're just trying to make yourself look good you're trying to make yourself look like this you know saint that's never done anything wrong the thing is is i use examples like the y word story showing you that i'm not perfect i've made these mistakes in the past i've said these terms but the thing is is that i've educated myself to know why they're wrong so that when i've grown up i know not to use these words you know and people have said things the problem with things like social media and twitter is that you've got a record of the things that you said. That's another good example of cancel culture is that some people might have tweeted things when they were a kid 10, 15 years ago that they don't believe now and that they said in an uneducated way back then um, that I I just don't believe people should be canceled for that type of thing. If they're willing to hold their hands up and say, yes, I said those things once. I understand that that was wrong. I understand I shouldn't have done that. I was young and uneducated on the topic and I said it because it was just, you know, it was a different time you know it wasn't it doesn't make it okay but it was a different time and i don't think someone should be cancelled for that i think someone should be given the opportunity for a second chance so yeah i think maybe that is probably one of the best examples of it the other word is woke you know i see a lot of people saying in the chat box before you know i've been called woke a million times like i feel like woke has kind of been used as a word sometimes in the wrong way i think there is a place for the words in some senses i think sometimes cancel culture is linked to what i believe what i would describe really as 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 woke i guess i don't really like the word um i just think that it's it's more to do with just being a decent human being in general like if you're a decent human being you know not to say things and if you do say certain things you apologize for saying them and you own up to your mistakes you know but there you go. Anyway, I've been going over an hour now. This is meant to be the Arsenal News Show. <laughs> but it was a good question and it sparked off a really good conversation. And I think that's what's really, really important. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad we had this conversation. I'm glad we have this talk and we haven't done it for quite some time. So, yeah, uh, it's always good to talk about these types of things. You can tell I'm on my day off today because <laughs> I'm willing to sit around and chat about this type of thing for a long time. I wish I could do it more. I wish I could have these conversations with other people. Um I wish I could do podcasts dedicated to them, but I know it's not the content that you guys come here for. You come here for the Arsenal news at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, that is what I know that you want to talk about. So I will always continue to do Arsenal content, but I'm going to be very honest with you guys. I'm never going to not stop. I'm never going to not stop. That's not the way. I'm never going to stop 
criticizing abuse. I'm never going to stop calling out homophobia and racism and sexism and all of these derogatory terms, you know, and I think it's important to talk about. So yeah, uh, I, I'm happy to do it. Uh, there are some things that I, I don't have opinions on. There are some things that I am conflicted on that I can't say I stand one side of the fence to or the other. Um, but uh, yeah, today, I think we've had a really good conversation about a lot of good topics. So let me know what you think in the comment section down below. Uh, I know this links all back to Arsenal in the ways of, of abuse and things like that and online abuse and footballers that face abuse. So yeah, come and talk to me about it. If you've been affected by any of the these topics that we've discussed in today's show um, on mental health, on racism, on homophobia, on anti-Semitism, anything that we've discussed today, there are plenty of websites out there that you can go to to um, get educated on them. Um, off the top of my head, I would struggle to give you them. What I can say is that there's a fantastic place called Hope United uh, that do some really good work on abuse online. Um, so I'd recommend checking that out. And uh, yeah, uh, have a fantastic weekend, guys. And uh, I hope that you find yourself enjoying a lot of football today. Let's hope for a Spurs defeat. Let's hope for a Chelsea defeat tomorrow. Let's hope for a Man United loss. Let's hope for a Man City loss. That's the football banter that we like, you know, bantering our rivals when they lose games and saying how bad they are and how happy you are that, they, that they're losing. <laughs> That's the type of banter that we enjoy. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Very much appreciate your time. As always, drop a like on the video, subscribe to the channel if you're new, and as always, and most importantly, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.